With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Quiet, please, ladies and gentlemen. You ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Is the Lars Larson Show. Never apologize for being patriotic. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. And now... Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. My memory is so bad I let you speak. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show and welcome to Conspiracy Theory Thursday. And today... A lot of Thursdays, I don't arrive with a conspiracy theory in hand. I got a big one for you today. It involves literally billions of dollars in Washington state. It involves a gigantic ripoff of everybody who buys gasoline, natural gas, propane, electricity, just about any form of energy. And it has to do with Jay Inslee's beloved carbon tax. You know, the one that he says is not a tax. The one that he said was going to add a couple of pennies to your gallon of gasoline. And I'm quoting Jay Inslee there. Well, guess what? The Democrats have now figured out, hey, this is costing a lot of average people a lot of money at the pump, a lot of money in their utility bills. And they say, we've got to figure out what to do about this. Now, they're not about to revoke or repeal the carbon tax, although that may happen in a citizen vote, and we'll get into that subject as well. But what they're proposing is good old-fashioned Democrat-sponsored wealth redistribution. In other words, you lay on a carbon tax, it was never supposed to apply to food, it was never supposed to apply to farmers, uh, and yet the state of Washington said, we're far too busy to deal with the details in that law, even though the law said the carbon tax was never supposed to apply to farmers. And Jay Inslee, and I just quoted him a moment ago, had said, you know, it's going to add a couple of pennies to a cost of gasoline, uh, to the cost of a gallon of gasoline. No, it's added about 50 cents to the cost of a gallon of gasoline, which means it's sucking hundreds and hundreds of dollars out of the pockets of people at the gasoline pump. I would add that it's tougher to quantify how much it's adding to the cost of food. But understand, when you sit down to a meal today, almost all of that meal was made from energy. The farmer had to burn diesel to plant the food. He had to burn more diesel to be able to go out and uh, and harvest the food. He had to use petrochemicals to fertilize it. And then when you transport that food off for processing before it ever gets to the grocery store, add in more energy, more gasoline, more diesel, 
all of the above. And then it gets to the processing plant, and you're going to spend more energy through electricity. And then when it's shipped off to the, uh, the grocery store, you add in even more energy. And if it's refrigerated food, add in some more on top of that. So a carbon tax on energy literally adds to the cost of food. At a time when Joe Biden's Bidenomics has jacked up the price of everything, including groceries, and then Jay Inslee puts this on top. So guess what? The Democrats in Olympia right now have come up with a plan to spend about $150 million. Now, they're floating on cash right now. They're always pleading poor. But now they want to start sending out to low and moderate income Washington residents a $200 rebate on their utility bills, they say, to make up for the fuel cost increases related to Washington State's new carbon, uh, carbon tax and invest plan, as they like to call it. Now, what's really crazy about this, the people who sponsored that carbon tax, they're Democrats, and they believe that all of us should use less energy that our homes shouldn't be as warm, that we shouldn't drive cars, that we shouldn't travel on airplanes. They want all of that gone. In fact, wait till they come after agriculture as they have in Europe. They're going to come after agriculture as well. They're going to say, you don't need to use as much diesel. And for goodness sake, you don't need to fertilize. You can just go back to the old-fashioned methods. That doesn't work. I can tell you the numbers on that do not pencil. But before they even get there, They've decided to make this a giant wealth redistribution. So they suck it out of your pocket at the gas pump, and then they send you a check, but they're only going to send it to certain income groups. And why does that benefit the Democrats? In an election year, if the legislature says, yeah, let's send out checks to low and moderate income households, well, that's a great thing. I mean, it's basically Joe Biden's bad student debt payoff program on a local version. Or you say, how can we send people checks out of the state treasury? Uh, I know, we'll use the carbon tax. I've got a better idea. Why don't we repeal the carbon tax altogether? And if you think I'm crazy to suggest that, well, I'm joined by about 400,000 other crazy people who signed the initiatives that were put together by Brian Haywood, the initiatives to the legislature. Now, do you know what that is? An initiative, a straight initiative that just takes an issue to the ballot is one thing. But if you want to do it the way Washington State does it, you can do an initiative to the legislature. It is the public saying to the legislature, supposedly their representatives, would you pretty please consider this issue and fix this problem? What the voters wanted, the 400,000 plus who signed the initiative calling for the repeal of this carbon tax in Washington state that is costing everybody so much money, 400,000 plus signed, and they asked the legislature to look at it. Do you know what the Democrats had said? Out of the six initiatives to the legislature, the Democrats have said, we will hear three of them. The other three we will not even though it's in the Constitution. So I even made it today's daily poll, the poll on X. Should the Washington legislature hold hearings and a vote on the six voter-signed initiatives as the state constitution requires, or ignore them, as the Democrats say they plan to do, with half of those initiatives? I would say yes, they should hold hearings on it. Except that the Democrats say, no, we just plan to ignore it. We don't even want to talk about it. But what they do want to do is create a new welfare program where they strip money out of your pocket when you're at the grocery store and the gas station and in your home utility bills, by the way. And then they give you some money back, as much money as Olympia decides that you deserve back. 
Here's the way it's being reported. Washington legislative leaders, and these are the Democrats, want to give low and moderate income Washington residents a $200 rebate on their utility bills to make up for the fuel cost increases related to Washington's cap and invest program. The money, and get this, proposed by the governor and in legislative budget proposals released this week, would distribute $150 million to the state's utilities to then pass along to their customers. While the clean energy rebates are not directly linked to Washington's gas prices, they are designed to help people deal with financial burdens that have been imposed by that program. And here's what's especially crazy. Let's assume that you're one of these bunny-hugging, tree-loving liberals, and you say, we've just got to have a carbon tax. Well, what for? Well, it's not just to get more money for the government. That's actually what it is for. You know, what it's to do is get people to use less energy, so we'll jack up the cost. Except they can't afford to admit that out loud. If they say, we just want people to start driving less and keeping their home heated to 65 degrees in the wintertime, uh, they would just say that. But they don't want to say that. They know that'll be unpopular. So they said, well, we want to discourage or encourage people to use fuel very sparingly. Well, jacking up the price ought to do it, except now they're going to jack up the price of the pump and then hand you the money right back, including the money that you've paid extra on propane, natural gas, and frankly, some of the electricity in the region as well. Should we create that new you know, welfare program to send money out that way? I'd say no. You can find the question on X at Lars Larson Show. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. The Northwest Nonsense is coming up next. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. You can't fix stupid. Stupid is forever. But you surely can vote them out. This is the Lars Larson Show. That makes a lot of sense, a lot of nonsense. Right, your body well right, you know he got a right to sit. This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? 
nonsense. That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead, fish wrapper, or mainstream media bias. Oregon state lawmakers offer up daily proof that you just can't fix stupid. The state has invested tens of billions to earn the money to pay ridiculous public employee pensions over the decades ahead. And that system is already short by billions of dollars. Now the Democrats plan to short it some more. They want to dump the, about a billion dollars worth of coal investments held by the state of Oregon. State investment managers, whose track record ain't really much to write home about already, have put that money in coal and oil and other things because it earns a high return. State law requires that investments be put wherever they can make the most money. And Democrats like Con Pham have introduced the Clean Oregon Assets Legislation Act, otherwise known as coal. Kind of cute. If the states trade high-earning stocks for something environmentally friendly, they make a lot less. And guess who's on the hook to make up for that shortfall when they fall short? One hint, it's not public employees who are receiving those pensions. It is the taxpayers. The system has already fallen about $20 billion short. That's more money than the entire Oregon state budget for a year. So while Democrats want a green energy bragging point, just remember, it's almost certain to cost taxpayers a pile of green. Hang on to your wallets. The legislature's in session and the Democrats are running the show. If you want to join what we call the best conversation in talk journalism, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And by the way, let's do the Daily Grill now. Insane. Are you Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. Find out right now. Well, I'm going to use this as both a daily grill and a bravo to an organization I ordinarily don't give a lot of compliments to, and that's OregonLive.com, otherwise known as the Daily Dead Fish Wrapper. But in this case, they did a good job. And shame on Oregon government for lying about booze and taxes. Now, it takes a little explanation, but the Oregon Health Authority which I don't trust anyway, and after the pandemic, I think an awful lot of people don't trust the Oregon Health Authority. They have now apologized because they did a study in which what they wanted to show was that if you increased beer and wine taxes, that it would actually cut down on excessive drinking. Now, I would tell you, you don't need a scientific study on that. If you tell somebody, why, we're going to raise the cost of a six-pack, 50 cents or a buck, do you really think that if somebody has a problem, they're addicted to alcohol, that 50 cents or a buck is going to change their alcoholism? Do you really think that's going to happen? I don't think you have to be a psychologist, psychiatrist, or a medical doctor to say raising the cost is not going to change the problem. It might just change the brand of beer that the alcoholic is drinking or wine or whatever it is. Well, the state of Oregon did this study. And they asked some experts, if we raise the cost of booze and we do it through taxes, will that cut back on problem drinking? And the study came back and said, no, it won't. Well, as you can imagine, because they wanted an excuse to raise taxes, they said, let's bury this study as deep as we can bury it. Well, as the as Oregon Live points out, the state of Oregon Health Authority said that officials inadvertently lost track of this study. 
They apologized that they did the study, they spent public money on it, and then they just sort of made a boo-boo, and they forgot to study it. Well, as the Oregonian says, that's not true. It wasn't just that they inadvertently forgot to do it. Internal emails and an interview with the study's author show the agency held back from publishing the findings two years ago, 2022, as health authority officials worked to advance their plan to increase beer and wine taxes. Well, the plan has now been scrapped, and you understand why. A health authority spokesman maintains, claims, that the agency did intend to publish the full report someday. Its failure to do so until after the Oregonian Oregon Live broke the news last month that the agency had kept secret the conclusions of this $60,000 study. The study that said if we raise taxes on beer and wine, will that cut back on problem drinking? No, it won't. Well, we're not going to tell anybody. But they said that's also false. Mike Marshall who is the head of addiction treatment provider group Oregon Recovers that has advocated for higher alcohol taxes, was briefed on the study. So the people on the inside got to look at the study. It's just the public that didn't get a chance to see the study. So they were planning, if the study had come out and said, yeah, raise taxes just a bit and you'll cut back on problem drinking, it would give Salem an excuse to raise taxes, which is what they really wanted to do. But because the study said the opposite, no, it's not going to make any difference, they said, let's just not tell the public. They paid for the study. They own the study as a public record. Don't show it to the public. This is the kind of deception that citizens should not tolerate at all, and bravo to Oregon Live for tracking it down. Ken Sevier writes in uh, with the best email so far today, but you can send more to talk at LarsLarson.com. Lars, I saw a video of an incident during a girls' basketball team where a transgender player injured one of the girls, actually injured three of them, on the opposing team with aggressive play. And it was said that the two other girls on the same team were injured in the first half, and the team's coach forfeited the game, fearing more injured players in the second half. Yep, we talked about it on the show a couple of days ago. The presentation of this story did not say if all the injuries of the one team were the, were the result of the transgender player. Maybe more girls basketball teams should forfeit their games if they find their opposing team has one or more transgender players. When it comes down to the basketball finals, it might become a battle of just those teams with transgender players. That would certainly bring some attention to the issue of transgender players on girls' teams if those teams won their place in the finals because all their games were won by a forfeiture. Signed, Ken Severe. Ken, I think you're absolutely right about that. And at this point, how many parents are telling their girls, I don't want you playing volleyball or basketball? Why, you could get hurt when you come up against a girls' team that has young men on it. To uh, Anthony now. Anthony, it's a Conspiracy Dairy Thursday. What's on your mind? Well, Lars, good to hear from you. And as always, I love the music that you play in between your toes. I appreciate that, but I'm not sure why your phone... We're going to get you to a cleaner phone line so people can hear what you're saying. I can understand what you're saying, but it's a little difficult. Anthony, I appreciate the call. The poll on X today. Should the Washington legislature hold hearings on the six voter-signed initiatives as the state constitution requires or ignore them, as the Democrats say they plan to do with at least three of them. Now, I want to tell you something. Tomorrow at 12 noon, on the Capitol steps in Olympia, there is going to be a major rally. 
This is citizens who are going to travel all the way to the state capitol to tell those state lawmakers the Constitution says that if a voter initiative to the legislature is sent in, and it was, if it gets the needed number of signatures, and it did, if it is certified and it becomes an initiative of the legislature, you will hold hearings on it, you will take a vote on it, and I hope citizens give it to them with both barrels and say, listen, you've got to do what the Constitution says, and if you don't, you're going to be out on your ears come November. It's Thursday, and you've got the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. Senator John Kennedy gets it. Mr. President, you just got to try harder not to suck. Well said, Mr. Kennedy. We agree. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'll get back to your phone calls and emails in a bit. You know, we start with the well-worn adage that Democrats need double standards or, heck, they'd have no standards at all. So consider this. If we have problems with vote by mail, you can imagine the kind of problems we might have if we had electronic balloting in elections in America. I mean, the uh, the opportunity for fraud and criminality would just know no bounds. But but now America's labor unions, some of them want to have electronic ballots for membership in unions. And that sounds equally problematic. Uh, maybe even more so because the unions, uh, some of them, have a history of going out and forging people's names to cards uh, to put pe put a union together. And then all of a sudden somebody finds out several years later, yeah, you signed on. You wanted to have a union, and now we have a union, and you can't get out of it. And the person says, I never signed anything. Yeah, you did. There's your signature right there. Even when they prove it's a forgery, no luck. So I thought we'd talk about it with Maxford Nelson, who's director of labor policy with the Freedom Foundation. Hey, Maxford, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Lars. Always a pleasure. So tell me, I'm glad to have you on. Tell me this. Why is it that uh, Democrat Senator Joe Wynn from White Center in Washington wants to allow government unions to use electronic signatures when they're trying to organize new bargaining units? Well, in, in Senator Wynn's telling, this is a matter of efficiency and modernization and, and bringing our union representation processes into the 21st century. Uh, and, okay, fine. Uh, he, he has a point as far as it goes. Digital signatures are becoming increasingly common, uh, commonplace in commerce, and, uh, and they're legally recognized in a variety of settings. Why shouldn't they be used in uh, petition uh, for signature petitions if public employees in the state of Washington want to form a union? Okay, that's that's fine. I mean, we we have as Freedom Foundation some concerns that the existing process and existing laws don't adequately protect public employees' rights and are uh, vulnerable to fraud. Uh, and, and we've got a documented history of unions forging people's signatures on membership forms, uh, the old-fashioned way, pen to paper. But in our current legal environment where there really are no safeguards, digital signatures probably are no more or less secure or insecure than the old pen and paper methods that we're using now. The real problem with Senator Wynn's proposal uh, is is the double standard that it creates, as you mentioned at, uh, at the outset. Uh, there are three kinds of union representation petitions. 
There's petitions to create a union uh, where none exists. There's petitions to change from one existing union to another union. And then there's petitions to eliminate or decertify uh, a union uh, that represents a group of public employees. And the basic process is the same for each one. If the affected employees, uh, so if at least 30% of the affected employees sign petition forms calling for uh, uh, an election process, then the state labor board will proceed and conduct a vote and, you know, the outcome is the outcome. Well, the problem with Senator Wynn's proposal, Senate Bill 6060, is that it permits the use of digital signatures only for petitions to create a new union. It does not allow them for petitions to change unions or to decertify them. And there's no justification for that disparity whatsoever. It's completely a case of double standards. Well, and in fact, like I said, Democrats and the unions are very much allied with the Democrats in politics from the local level all the way up to the national. They have to have double standards or they wouldn't have standards at all. And in this case, they're saying we want to make it easier to form a bargain unit and lock people into union membership, but we want to make it much harder for any of those people to escape from union membership. That, that's exactly what it is, and and it gets it gets worse the closer you look at it. Uh, you know, we've we've gone through some legislative debate over this process now. Uh, Senator John Braun, uh, to his credit, uh, a Republican from the Centralia area offered an amendment that would have fixed this disparity in the bill and allowed the use of digital signatures in all types of union representation petitions. Uh, that was shot down by majority Democrats who couldn't explain or come up with any reason why it was a bad idea. They just didn't want it uh, for the reasons that you mentioned. But then, you know, the Democrats supporting the legislation have made the argument that, you know, well, the National Labor Relations Board allows digital signatures and private sector union organizing campaigns and the states of Oregon and Minnesota allow digital signatures. Uh, so why shouldn't we do it here? Well, we wouldn't actually check the rules in each of those places and confirm that uh, from the NLRB to Minnesota to Oregon, yes, they do allow digital signatures in uh, for union petitions. But they allow them in all kinds of union petitions, not just those trying to form a new union. Uh, and this really isn't an isolated incident. This is the, the latest in a series of multi-year efforts now by uh, progressive majorities in the uh, Pacific Northwest to pass rules, change the, the existing rules, to make it very, very easy for unions to form and for unions to sign people up for membership, sign public employees up for membership but increasingly difficult for individuals to resign their membership and for groups of public employees to uh, decide that they don't want union representation. Let me ask you it, this, it really Max. Is a... I'm talking to Max oh, go, go ahead, Nelson, Max. who's with the Freedom Foundation. The, is it fair to say the unions are desperate right now? Because after the Janus Supreme Court decision, they've been losing membership by the millions nationwide, haven't they? That's absolutely a dynamic here, and, and we've seen so many of these legislative efforts to prop up government unions uh, in the Northwest and in, in Democrat stronghold states around the country. Uh, that, that trend really accelerated since the Supreme Court's decision in 2018 made union membership optional for public employees around the country. So you're right. They're bleeding members, uh, and they're trying everything that they can to expand their membership base. 
And, you know, the, the political aspect of this is just entirely impossible to separate from the policy debate uh, because of the central role that government unions play in the progressive political coalition. The elected officials know, the elected officials that rely on Democrats or uh, on union support know that every person who becomes a, a member, willingly or unwillingly, of a government union is having their paycheck directly plugged into the Democrat political machine. Uh, and that underlying motivation and that knowledge is why we see these issues take such priority any place where union-aligned uh, lawmakers have a majority. Max, I, I want people to understand how this can happen. And you tell me if I'm wrong. Somebody says, let's form a bargaining unit in this particular group of workers. And so they'll go around now with a card and say, uh, will you, would, would you like to have an election on unions? And a lot of people say, yeah, let's have an election. I'm, I'm not in favor of a union, but go ahead. We'll have the election. They sign the card. When they get to a certain number of cards, the bargaining unit is formed even before an election is held, isn't it? That's, that's correct, Lars. And, and that's actually another disparity. It well, hold on, hold already. on. But Max, let me follow through because this is where it becomes important. So if, if somebody's walking around trying to get people to sign cards, then one day you hear, hey, they got enough cards. There's now a bargaining unit. We're in a union. And you say, oh, well, I never signed one of those cards. So, uh, you know, I wasn't part of that, but okay, that's what happened. Unless you think, you know, maybe somebody forged my signature, I should go down and demand to see the card to see if my name's on one of those cards. I never signed one, but maybe they forged my name. Now, most people wouldn't do that, but that's exactly what the unions have done in some cases. They forged people's names to cards, and then later it was proved it wasn't their signature. But why would somebody who never signed a card think to ask, can I see all the cards to see if my name was one of them? They, they wouldn't, because they'd say, I know I didn't sign the card. It must have been other people who signed the card. It's a kind of fraud that's going to be very hard to catch. And now, if they get to electronic signatures, it'll be even easier to carry out the fraud and harder to prove it. Max, thanks so much. That's Max Nelson from the Freedom Foundation in Washington. Back in just a moment, the city of Madras thinks that homeless people stealing shopping carts is a problem, so they're going to punish the victims. me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges, but how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. A reminder, you are in control. Our Constitution is a document in which we, the people, 
tell the government what it is allowed to do. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you live on the Radio Northwest Network, which has for 24 years been serving the Pacific Northwest states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho with honestly provocative talk. And your calls are welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you're a naysayer, you'll go right to the head of the line. And we love naysayers. Just stick around for some questions after you've made your point. And, of course, Joel. Our great uh, associate producer will tell you to get your point made up front. Nothing more frustrating for you or me than if you call in and talk for two or three minutes and then you say, hey, I never got to make my point. Make your point up front. Our question today, the poll on X, should the Washington legislature hold hearings on six voter-signed initiatives as the state constitution requires them to do or ignore half of them as the Democrats have already announced they plan to do? I would say they should hold the hearings and hear about these voter initiatives to the legislature. Uh, it's, it's really pretty outrageous that the Democrats in the state legislature would say, yes, there are voter initiatives to the legislature. Yes, the Constitution requires us to actually hold a hearing and take a vote after those voters have gathered 400,000 signatures. And no, we're just not going to do it. I mean, they start to sound like they're they're following the law and the Constitution the way Joe Biden follows the law, the law and the Constitution, which is whenever he feels like it. Today's poll on X is brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Let's go to Anthony. Hey, Anthony, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Good to talk to you again, Lars. A bit a while, and I'm glad to hear your voice again. Thank you, sir. No problem. Well, I would like to talk about the Chinese national that they're trying to be a part of the election committee over in in California. Oh well, she is already on the elections commission. She was sworn in earlier this week. So we have a Chinese national who is not an American citizen, yes. lives in America, uh, and has been an advocate for illegal alien voting and is now on the San Francisco Elections Commission, even though she can't legally vote anywhere in America. And you wonder kind of funny when I was putting two and two together when you were talking about all this the other day? What was it? Who visited California, Gavin Newsom, a few months ago before this even happened? I mean, the dictator Z from, or Xi from, uh, from China? Correct. We're right. like they were changing hands. That's an interesting point, although I'd point out that this Kelly Wong, the Chinese woman who's on the Elections Commission now, she's been a voting activist for the last five years in America. So she's been around for a long time. I think this thing's been a long time in the works, and I don't. I honestly don't think that the visit by the dictator made the difference. Oh, I'm sure it probably did, because Ping does have his hands in a lot of pockets, including the Bidens. Well, and you you might be absolutely right about that. Anthony, thanks for the call. Let's go to Bill in Selma. Bill, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Um, I was just going to let you know that I've been hearing this a lot from bar owners in Grants Pass, that in order to keep their lottery machines, they have to go get fingerprinted, hand over any financial statements of anything they have invested anywhere, and they want a copy of their will. What? And I've what, heard, what is I've, I've heard this is from that Is that the state... Who who reg is that the Oregon Liquor and Cannabis Commission that regulates that? Oh, that's the state lottery. I think. I think well, lottery. it's the lottery. So, 
Yep. Um, like I said, they had purpose? to go get fingerprinted last week, and uh, and now I've, I've heard it from more than one person, and I thought, well, how can they ask you for your will or your portfolio of what you have investments in? You know, I, I can't imagine why. I mean, they might say if you have a, uh, a conflict of interest, you have to declare it. But that seems incredibly intrusive, Bill. I'll tell you what. I'll see if I can get somebody from the, the Lottery Commission doesn't come on the show. Uh, we, they're invited to come on. But I'll see if I can find out why. But d never put it past the government to be more intrusive than they actually need to be. I could see them asking if you have a conflict of interest, if you own stock in the company that makes machines or something like that. But uh, that kind of intrusion seems really offensive. And if that's true, if there are bar owners out there who could tell us whether or not that's true, is the uh, State Lottery Commission starting to push into people's private behavior? Now, I do want to mention this story because I, I teased this a moment ago. The city of Madras says there's a huge problem with homeless people stealing shopping carts. So do you know what the city of Madras has decided to do? Uh, no, they're not going to go out and arrest or somehow punish the people who actually steal the carts. They're going to punish the retailers because their carts were stolen. So they're going to tell the retail stores they're going to have a regulation that says it is required of you that you keep your shopping carts on the premise. So if somebody steals the shopping cart, the city of Madras doesn't go after the thief. They go after the owner of the shopping cart. And they say these regulations would entail retailers being fined for noncompliance. So in other words, when a bunch of homeless bums come in and steal shopping carts, which, by the way, I've checked recently, full-size shopping carts like you find at the grocery store are about $1,000 a pop from a company that wholesales and retail wholesales uh, materials like that for grocery stores. About $1,000 a piece. So somebody steals five or $10,000 worth of your property, and the helpful city of Madras comes in and says, we're going to fine you because you were the victim of crime. They're not going to go out and arrest the people who actually stole the carts. If that makes sense, I'd love to talk to the naysayer who sees that as a common sense measure. You're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. You ready for the big soap? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Never apologize for being patriotic. 
honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. And now... Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host... My memory is so bad I let you speak. Lars Larson. Welcome back to Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and your emails in just a moment. But I've got what I consider a fairly important interview to do here, and it has to do with the government, I think, is trying to run a private company out of town. Now, that's my opinion. So I thought, well, why don't I test this out and find out? I've told you about this over the last couple of days. Multnomah County, which is the single most populous county in all of the state of Oregon, it's second only in size in the northwest to King County. And it has one emergency service ambulance provider, and that's American Medical Response. I've got no dog in the fight. I don't do ads for them. I don't take money from them. I don't own stock in the company. But let me tell you about the company. The company is the single biggest private ambulance provider in the country. It's big. It's huge. And, in fact, they have about 37,000 employees. Now, here's what's going on, though, because, oh, they just stiffed us. Okay, well, that's the way it goes. So I was going to talk to the head, Randy Lauer, who's vice president of operations. We arranged this over the last two days. And here's my concern. Because I will always put more faith in the private sector than I ever do in government. Now, I know that some of you who listen will email me and you'll say, oh, no, government is the great agency to solve just about any problem in the world. I don't believe that. I believe that whatever it is that the government does, with a few rare exceptions, if you're talking about running the court system in America, that's a government function. If you're talking about, say, uh, fighting wars and defending this country, that is a government operation. But other than that, almost everything the government does could be done better by the private sector. So there are places in America where if you call 911 for emergency medical help, you're going to get police and fire, depending on the emergency. But then in many cases, you'll also get the government, which provides the ambulance transport. But in Multnomah County, you have a private company that provides that. That's American Medical Response. And it seems to me that what Multnomah County is trying to do, I think they have an agenda. I think what they want to do is force out AMR. They have a contract with AMR. And last year, Multnomah County began calling AMR on the carpet because they said, the contract we have with you says you need to have two paramedics on every single ambulance. And AMR has said, like a lot of other institutions in America right now, they're trying to hire the people. They can't find enough paramedics. So what AMR asked the county to do is they said, would you let us staff the ambulance with one paramedic and one EMT? An EMT is less trained, less well-trained, less certified than a paramedic but they're still able to work on people in an emergency situation. And many places in America, this is standard practice. You have a paramedic and an EMT. I mean, on the way to the call, one of the two is just driving the ambulance. And on the way from the call to the hospital, one person is usually in back. That would be the paramedic. The other person is just driving a vehicle. Doesn't take any special medical training to drive a vehicle. 
Because after you stabilize somebody at an accident scene or some kind of incident where somebody's been injured, your first job is get them quickly to a hospital where you get the full tilt package. You've got doctors, nurses, emergency techs, all kinds of equipment, all kinds of drugs, all kinds of procedures, and you have an actual doctor there instead of a paramedic or an EMT. So the critical part is what happens at that incident scene. Well, uh, when I looked up some studies, I was actually kind of surprised uh, by one part of the results. They've done studies, and I'll quote the Journal of Emergency Medical Services, that actually says in those places where they have two paramedics, they actually have a higher level of mistakes that are made at scenes where an ambulance has been called. I don't know why. I don't know the logic behind that, but that's what they're finding in those studies they've done. They also looked at whether or not it is medically better to have two paramedics on scene or is a paramedic and an EMT equivalent. And uh, again, the uh, Journal of, the Emer of Emergency Medical Services quotes all these studies that say their bottom line conclusion is Having two paramedics is not medically superior to having one paramedic and one EMT. And of course, if AMR was allowed to put two, uh, put one paramedic and one EMT on every ambulance, they could field more ambulances out in the field. Which means if you have more ambulances able to respond on any given day at any given hour, you're likely to get faster response. If you say, oh no, you can only put an ambulance out with two paramedics in it and you don't have enough paramedics, you're going to get slower response. And here's the thing I thought about as a customer. I, I can't, let's see, we have, I've never actually called an ambulance to my home. Now, thank God. But if I ever do, do I want to have an ambulance come quickly with one paramedic or more slowly with two paramedics? I'll take quick any day of the week. So I really look forward to talking to Randy Lauer. As I said, we arranged this over the last couple of days, thought we were going to get the interview. It, it, it We never even got notice on it. It's just, sorry, can't do it. So I don't know what the explanation is there, but here's what I think the agenda is. Just last fall in Santa Cruz, California, they had a private contract for private ambulance service. And Santa Cruz actually kicked AMR out. I mean, they pushed them out of the county. And they replaced them with county, and I would imagine if, if cities involve city ambulances as well. Now, why would somebody in government want to do that? Understand that in the Pacific Northwest, especially in the bigger cities, the uh, folks who are on county commissions, city councils, and the like are likely to look out for their union brothers and sisters. Which means, if they say, we could take a very, very expensive contract where we're paying the money to a private company and pay it to public employees instead, you know that Democrats are going to do that any day of the week. They're going to simply say, sure, if we can, if we can take all those jobs out of the private sector and put them into public employees instead, that's better for the labor unions. It's better for the public employees. And the government just loves to take on stuff like this. It doesn't matter if it's better for the public or not. What they look for is, does it match their politics? In other words, if you have more union members, more public employees, more public pensions, more union dues being paid, that's where the Democrats find their biggest source of money for political campaigns. And I believe that's what the agenda is. 
And this is what's crazy, too. I find it kind of ironic. When AMR, a private company, says, we want to hire paramedics, there aren't enough of them. And we're going to have to change the way we do business. The government says, no, it's not allowed. But when the governments of the Northwest, and they've done this a lot in the last three years, when they say, we're short of staff, they tell taxpayers, too bad. You're going to pay the same amount of money in taxes. We're going to deliver less services because we don't have enough staff on board. So in other words, when the government gives you that excuse, it's okay. But when a private company does it, it's not. Back in just a moment. Glad to get your calls at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And maybe someday AMR will talk to us. If you're even with me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Senator John Kennedy on the Washington establishment. The Washington establishment is working harder than an ugly stripper to cover up whatever happened. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails. In a moment, I want to give you a couple of thoughts on an indictment that came out yesterday. It involves a leader of the Japanese mafia known as the Yakuza and his attempt to sell uh, weapons-grade uranium, weapons-grade plutonium, and perhaps even buy or sell some surface-to-air missiles. Now, this was announced yesterday. As far as I'm concerned, when a country like Iran that's trying has been trying to get nuclear weapons for a long time, for the better part of the last couple of decades, and when it appears that a gang leader from Japan who obtained these weapons-grade plutonium and uranium samples uh, that he apparently got from a bunch of rebels in Burma. Uh, and he was trying to sell them to a man he thought was a general from Iran. If this is the case, uh, that, that ought to be scary as all get-out, because you understand that if the Iranians get their hands on a nuclear weapon, and they may even have one today. Nobody knows for sure, but they are said to be either weeks or months away from the capability to produce one of these. And if they have been trying to buy weapons-grade both uranium and plutonium from outside of Iran, then that is uh, that puts the, uh, well, it should send the alarm signals up. 
about what's going on. But I'll get to the details on that in just a moment. We saw the news break late yesterday about this, and there has been, this isn't just a source report. This is where the U.S. government has actually brought a criminal indictment against this Japanese Yakuza for trying to sell plutonium and uranium to a guy he thought was an Iranian general. But first, I want to get a couple of your calls in. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Jason, what's on your mind? Hey, Lars. I guess uh, Joe Biden's close to home today. He's in San Francisco. Um, I guess they had to clean up the, uh, the dead bodies off the street before he could... Uh make his presence known in uh in town i guess that's kind of a bad joke but uh um he was at the uh celebrity roast there uh trying to uh make money he trying to collect some more money and uh he's not he didn't he didn't collect as much money as uh, as uh as trump did selling his new line of shoes his slow walk sneakers no uh, trump actually made i think 400 grand which sounds like walking around money for somebody like donald trump his net worth is 2.6 or 2.7 billion dollars uh but uh but it, it's interesting that that joe biden has been ridiculing donald trump and uh and and then he calls putin a crazy sob he's uh Joe's Joe's out of control these days, but I, I you told the producers you had a conspiracy theory about the border. What is it? The border is last minute efforts to seal up the border. It's it's senile. It's 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 creating segregation in this country. He's using people for votes. Uh, what, what is he going to do after these people vote? He's just going to disregard them on the side of the road. I mean, this is just he's pandering. Oh, I, I don't think I don't think he's going to disregard them after this, Jason. Let me paint this picture for you, and you tell me if you think it's accurate. You've got a Democrat party that, for years, has treated black voters like they own them. It has treated Hispanic voters like they own them. It has treated union members like they own them. Except that their welcome, the Democrat Party's welcome, is rapidly wearing out with all three of those groups. Union members, in fact, there are a couple of labor unions that say that while they, the union, are going to endorse Joe Biden for president, they know, they admit on, you know, in front of cameras, uh, most of our members will not be voting for Joe Biden because Joe Biden has been bad for union members and he's going to be terrible for the United Auto Workers. Why their unions are still, re you know, still out uh, endorsing Joe Biden, I don't understand. So if you're a Democrat Party who's basically their support base has been those three groups for a long, long time, and you're losing all three of those groups. The public opinion polls say that black Americans are shifting conservative. Hispanic Americans are as well. Union members say uh, see their salvation in Donald Trump, not in Joe Biden, because Joe Biden's EV mandates, you know, saying we all have to buy electric cars, are going to put about six out of every ten auto workers out of work. So they need to find a new base of people that they can depend on to vote for them. Well, if you let 10 million people into the country and you let them in illegally, and but, but at the border, they get an airline ticket anywhere they want to go, paid for by the taxpayers. They get thousands of dollars on a debit card paid for by the taxpayers. And then they're flown off to another city. They're given a hotel room to stay in. They're given food and lodging and, and cash, walking around money. Those people and their children and their family members, how long do you suppose they're going to remember that little favor they got from Joe and the Democrats? 
and they raised they were good and they raised the art tax as well on us you know at, yeah that happened as well jason i'm not sure what that had to do with joe biden and the border but i very much appreciate the call so let me tell you about what's going on with his yakuza so the yakuza are effectively the japanese mafia and one of their leaders uh takiyashi ebisawa he's 60 years old he had apparently smuggled uranium and weapons-grade plutonium from Burma to Thailand, and he was trying to sell it to a man who was posing as an Iranian general. Now, how can I say that's true? It's contained in an indictment that was filed yesterday and finally unsealed by, believe it or not, the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration. They're the ones who caught it. And the quote that I thought brought it all home. U.S. Attorney Damian Williams says it is impossible to overstate the seriousness of the conduct alleged in today's indictment. As alleged, Takeishi Abisawa brazenly trafficked material containing uranium and weapons-grade plutonium from Burma to other countries. He allegedly did so while believing that the material was going to be used in development of a nuclear weapon and that weapons-grade plutonium he trafficked, if produced in sufficient quantities, could could have been used for that purpose. Evidently, even as he allegedly attempted to sell nuclear materials, he was trying to negotiate for the purchase of weapons, including surface-to-air missiles. And what the U.S. attorney said is, I want to thank the career prosecutors for their commitment to protecting America. Well, I'm not such a big fan these days of the Biden DOJ. They've been up to all kinds of other things as well. But one of the assistant attorney generals said the defendant stands accused of conspiring to sell weapons grade nuclear material and lethal narcotics from Burma to buy military weaponry on behalf of an armed insurgent group. It's chilling to imagine the consequences had he succeeded. Uh, and from the DEA, as alleged, the defendants in this case trafficked in drugs, weapons, and nuclear material. And apparently, they discussed the possibility or probability that this plutonium and uranium was not going to be used for anything else. It was going to be used to make nuclear weapons. And the guys they were negotiating with, it turned out to be a sting. But the man they thought they were dealing with, they thought, was an Iranian general. So in other words, you've got people on this planet who are trying to sell deadly materials, potentially catastrophic materials, to Iran. And if that's the case, Iran doesn't, and Iran's very close on its own to producing weapons-grade uranium right now. And once they get nuclear weapons and other Middle Eastern states start to arm up with nuclear weapons, which they certainly will do, where is that going to put the world if somebody gets their finger just a little bit too close to the button? Glad to have you with me and always glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Check out our Instagram feed and our other social media. And you can always tell Alexa to play the Lars Larson Show. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. to the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'll get back to your phone calls and emails shortly, but I want to talk about this subject because it's starting to rear its ugly head in just about every state in America to one extent or another. When a child in a family says, I think that I was born a boy, but I'm now a girl, or vice versa, 
And then when the family says, no, we're not going to go along with that notion, the worst case scenario is when the government will actually sign off on allowing the kidnapping of that child by the state or agents of the state. I'm not exaggerating this one little bit. You know that there have been laws passed that actually allow that kind of kidnapping. And now one family, this is a family in Indiana, who are now petitioning the Supreme Court to hear their case after the state government in the state of Indiana removed their child from the home after he began identifying as transgender. And because the state government of Indiana began to look at the Cox family, this is Jeremy Cox and Mary Cox, after learning that they would not address their son by his chosen identity. And the perfect guy to talk about this is former attorney general for Indiana and now Republican candidate for governor of that state, Curtis Hill, who joins me now. Curtis, it's good to have you back. Good to be back, Lars. Thank you. In fact, it's great to have had you over the years through all the incarnations of your political career as you go up the ladder. So congratulations on that and best wishes in your uh, in your uh, race for governor in Indiana. But tell me about the Cox family. Have I overstated their situation? They wouldn't call their son a girl, and so the state swoops in and takes the kid away? Well, that's certainly how it's being reported, and it's shocking. Uh, the child obviously has a confusion and dysphoria. Uh, and many of us think that that's a, a, a mental illness of sorts. Uh, for a child to make a determination that they want to be a different sex is problematic enough, but for parents to be punished or penalized because they don't go along with it is, is just shocking, and uh, it's an affront to uh, parental sovereignty, and uh, who would have thought it would have happened in a state like Indiana? Well, and that's it. You're you're a fairly conservative Midwest state, and I, I would have thought this is going to happen in some place like Illinois or New York or maybe California. But in this case, this was an assault not just on the child because the state says, okay, we're going to take the child out of the home. That's bad enough. But then they began investigating and for a time brought charges against mom and dad for simply saying, we're not going to call our son a girl. And what's interesting in, in looking at the reports, it, it appears that there was no final determination of abuse on the parents. And that's what's, uh, what I find interesting. If there was a determination that the parents were abusive in some form or fashion, it may justify the removal of the child. But they went ahead and removed the child without a finding of abuse. And, again, this is as it's been reported, so uh, perhaps there's something more to the story. Well, let's hope there's more to the story, but based on what we're seeing, it sounds like a naked grab that that uh, we made a determination that the parents aren't down with the gender the radical gender ideology uh, that's permeating through the uh, Department of Child Services, and they're just going to take action. Well, and it sounds like it has it serves a political purpose for people who buy into this transgender nonsense. Because once you're an adult, Curtis, if someday you tell me you're now Cindy Hill, I'll say, well, I think you're confused, Curtis, but, but okay, you're an adult. I don't care what kind of underwear you wear. I don't care what you call yourself. I might question your sanity, but, but you're an adult. You can do what you want. But for children, when the state participates in this, and as I understand it, this family still does not have their child uh, have their child back, right? Well, as it turns out, the case is, the case is a, a, a couple of years old. The, the child actually uh, aged out of the uh, 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 court system, the uh, yeah. court system. Uh, so, at this point, they don't they don't have the child back, but that's the child's responsibility. The child is old enough now. Child's an adult now. Yeah. Yeah. 
But what they're asking, they're asking the uh, U.S. Supreme Court to intervene and and say, you know, we were we were treated uh, wrongly. What do you think? Should 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 the state of Indiana have done this? And should everybody in the state of Indiana and all the other states where this has been made in some cases into statute law to say, you know, that the state has the uh, authority to remove your child, not because you're beating the child or not feeding the child or in some other way abusing the child, but because you won't go along with this transgender stuff and, and the pursuit of a different uh, gender, perhaps even surgery and hormonal treatment, that this is kind of a warning shot across the bow of parents saying, you can't do this, so don't even think about it, or we'll come in and take your child away, and we'll put you under investigation, and you may face charges. That that's that's a uh, that would be tremendously intimidating, I think, for any uh, any uh, couple with children. This should send a chill on the spine of anyone with with children. I mean, unless there's anything more to it, the idea that you can simply um, make a statement a statement as a parent that no son, no daughter, we're not going to. We're not going to go along with this. Uh, uh, you can't make a choice of, of, of gender transition until you're 18. Uh, well, when it comes to the state, we'll say, well, we're going to make the decision for you. Uh, that is, it's, it's, it's mind-numbing. I mean, when I think of myself as a parent, thinking that, that, that you would have a situation where the state could come in and find, make no finding of abuse and simply take your children because you don't agree with the political ideology of the time uh, is a, a very frightening indeed. And I know as a candidate for governor, you may have to be careful about this, but I can say this. The Indiana Court of Appeals, among other things, had upheld the child's removal from the home, but they also imposed a gag order on the parents and said you are not to talk about any gender issues with your own child unless it's in a family therapy appointment. I don't know, Curtis. I'm not a lawyer. You are. It, it sounds like that's crossing the First Amendment line and then some. Well, the First Amendment, uh, I mean, it, it's the basic law of parenting. Uh, when does the government have any right whatsoever to, to interfere with a, with a parent's engagement with their own children? And, and the times that we do that is when there's uh, some type of physical abuse, some type of sexual abuse, uh, something of, of direct harm. And without some determination, some showing that there is something else going on, the, the mere disagreement between a parent and a child as to how they would uh, affect pronouns is insufficient to make a determination of that nature. And it sounds as though the state, through the Department of Child and Services, has made a determination that the child's interest in transitioning takes precedent over a parent's interest in providing uh, comfort and care for the child. Now, Curtis, I kind of play amateur lawyer on the air. I always remind people I'm not. But I say, look, at 18, under 18, you can't sign a contract. It's not legally binding because you're not mature. You can't drink. You, you can't, can't smoke. A, you can't, get a, tat you, you can't you get a tattoo. No, you can't get a tattoo, but you can have your, your, your personal plumbing changed out if you decide to. Mm -hmm. That's where we're headed, or that's where we are, isn't it? Well, with decisions like this, we're really headed down a dark hole. There's no question about that. It's... I'm I'm very concerned. I I know from a from the standpoint of the office I'm running for, the governor's office has uh, direct oversight over the Department of Children Child Services, and they perform a major function. Uh, they protect children and families from harm. Sometimes you have to move in as a state and pull a child out of a, out of a home. There should be a high standard for that uh, because we do want to make sure that we keep families intact. But when something like this happens, we're going to have to look at the bottom line. We're going to have to examine the uh, the, the protocol. 
uh, that existed that made this happen to make a determination that there is a sufficiency of, of review so that we just don't go in willy-nilly and take children away from parents who are doing otherwise uh, good work. Now, as I say, there may be something more that we're not getting in the reports, but the reports that we saw in this, the same report that you saw, the same thing that I've seen, there's no indication that the parents were doing anything other than uh, voicing their opinion opposite of the gender ideology. No, the only other thing I saw, Curtis, was they said the kid had an eating disorder, which I guess isn't all that uncommon among uh, teenagers, both boys and girls. But the kid has an eating disorder, and the state said, well, when the parents want to talk to this child about gender, it, it, it makes it distressing for the child. That's Curtis Hill. He's running for governor of Indiana. We're always glad to have him on the show for his insights. Back in just a moment. Glad to get your calls. 866-HEY-LARS. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Lots of folks worry about their firearms, but Lawrence doesn't have to worry about Biden taking his guns. He stores them upstairs. This is the Lawrence Larson Show. Big iron on his uses religion to try and cover up her crime her reputation needs restoration so get her to the church on time as you may have heard uh, fanny willis the much embattled district attorney of fulton county georgia the one who campaigned on the idea that she'd go after donald trump and then it turns out she took the investigatory money about seven hundred thousand dollars and gave it to her boyfriend who had no background in prosecution of the kind of cases that uh, that donald trump was alleged to have been involved in and she got caught she got caught cheating and spending a lot of that taxpayer money on some nice vacations in uh, in in tropical places like Aruba and other and Belize and places like that. To your calls now and welcome back to the Radio Northwest Network, where we serve the Pacific Northwest states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho through 26 great radio stations, and we have for 24 years. Let's go to Rick first. Hey, Rick, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Oh, I just wanted to talk to you about that AMR uh, fiasco with Marion County. I was no, Multnomah County, uh, yeah, or Multnomah. I'm sorry. Um, I was an ex EMT. 
Um, and we ran one paramedic and one EMT. Normally they run EMT twos, which is an IV tech that can start IVs and stuff. Yep. That's key, um, isn't it? And, and, and yes. And, uh, most fire departments have paramedics on their units. So if they need another paramedic, all they have to do is pull one off of the fire truck. Well, in fact, in, in in most of the emergencies you ran on, uh, running as an ambulance person, um, correct. When you the first responder is typically city fire or county fire because there are more correct. stations and they usually get to the accident scene or the incident first, so they're already on correct. scene when the ambulance shows up in most cases, aren't they? Correct. Yes, they are. Uh, and sometimes, depending on what the severity of the incident is, they've already got some treatment going. Um, most nowadays, most fire departments have paramedics on their on their uh, fire trucks. Yep. Um, they got they got medical units, uh, which also have paramedics. Um, so you know, if they need another paramedic on the scene, all they have to do is pull one off of there. That's right. I appreciate the call. Let's go to naysayer David. Hey, David, what do you and I disagree about? Let's get to it quickly so we don't run out of time. Don't think the county's trying to get rid of AMR. I think this is a good old-fashioned shakedown for money. Look at the amount <laughs> of money so? that they're... No, seriously. Look at oh, the I, amount of I money agree. they're demanding. They're demanding what? Is it $1.6 million in fines because AMR can't hire enough people? Just just think of all the great social programs they could put that money toward. Yeah, and, and, and so if it's just a shakedown, but if at the end of the day you, you tell a private company, we're going to fine you, by the time we're done, I mean, with all the other penalties, it's ramped up from a few hundred thousand last year to 1.5 million, and they're punishing them. I'm not sure we disagree on this. They're punishing them. They're saying you can't hire enough people. Do you know of a single public agency in government in the Northwest that hasn't said, we, we don't have enough people? I mean, for example, Oregon DMV. And you'd think that hiring people to work in a DMV office doesn't take, you know, tremendous skills. So, I mean, I'm not dis, I'm not degrading them. I'm just saying, you know, if you, we want you to work the front counter at DMV. We want you to be able to renew driver's licenses and, you know, and all the rest of that stuff. Not, it's not, you don't have to have a, a PhD to be able to do that. So the state tells you, I'm sorry, we don't have enough people, so we're going to close down a lot of DMV offices. We're going to restrict the hours on others. Sorry, we just don't have enough people. And they charge the taxpayers the same amount of money. But if a private company says, look, we'd like to hire more paramedics, we can't find them. And I don't think AMR is a warm, friendly company. I mean, they knocked, uh, what was it, Metro West out of Washington County and took that contract over, which I don't think really helps. Well, did I mean, they do a good, so did they do a better job than Metro West? I get, you know, because at the end of the day, David, I don't mind competition. I have competition in my business. Everybody who's in the private sector has competition. So when you say they knocked them out, did they go down and shoot them in the kneecap with a shotgun? Or did they just go in and say, we'll give you a better contract to do the same thing they're doing? Obviously, a better contract, but still, there's only a finite number of paramedics around ours. Right. But if there's a finite number, when you knock one company out of a contract, all their paramedics either get transferred somewhere else or they go to work for the new guys, right? Agreed. 
Okay, so so aren't we just short of paramedics right now? Yeah, that's the problem, but I do think it's a shakedown. <laughs> yeah, you, you just think the county is going to shake them down and shake them down and then say, we're going to fine you a bunch of money, now go on about your business. But what I don't understand is this, David. Let's say I don't. I want. I wanted to talk to the AMR guy today to get these questions answered. But say they have twenty paramedics, or you know, fifty paramedics, because they got to run you know twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. If you have fifty paramedics and you could run fifty rigs, but if the county says you have to have two paramedics, then you can only run twenty five rigs. Fewer rigs means slower response. If I ever have, and I've never had to call 911 for an ambulance to my home, if I ever do, I want that rig to be there fast. Whether it has one paramedic or two, you want somebody on the scene fast to save somebody's life. And uh, in this case, it sounds like Multnomah County is happy to put lives at risk to get a bunch of money. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Quiet, please, ladies and gentlemen. You ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Never apologize for being patriotic. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. And now... Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host... My memory is so bad I let you speak. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you on the Radio Northwest Network. I want to get to your phone call and emails here in just a moment but there is something really evil going on at the state capitol in this case i mean there's actually evil going on in both salem and olympia but this one has to do with olympia specifically and it's about what they want to do to the rights of local communities to run their schools because that's the way i think public education is best supplied and right now public education is not much to write home about they failed the majority of students in actually teaching them reading writing and math to the point where in oregon at least you can get a diploma without knowing reading writing or math washington state i'm not sure is quite as bad although i think it's close but it seems that the agenda to indoctrinate your kids on things like critical race theory, diversity, equity, and inclusion, queer theory, their name, not mine. And now, now the Democrats in Olympia are saying, and we're going to tell the local school districts, if you don't indoctrinate these kids the way we tell you to from Olympia, we're going to cut off the money. 
Leave Finna knows all about that. She's director of the Center for Education at Washington Policy. Leave, welcome back. Well, thanks so much, Lars. This is such an important subject because there is, you know, more and more evidence that the public is losing its confidence in the public schools. And here is another uh, effort in Olympia that is going to further erode public trust in the schools. This bill that the bills that we're talking about now are are state imposed curriculum that are forcing districts to to adopt uh, materials that many families do not want their children taught. And so this is just going to further, uh, you know, encourage people to pull their kids out of the public schools. I mean, our system of local control, as you said, locally run schools gives local communities trust in the schools. But now that's being, that control is being taken away. The state's insisting on its way. It's been very discouraging to see this, these bills proceed through the state house i'm afraid they're going to pass this year even though there's been very strong opposition um uh, uh, described by well-spoken people uh, before these committees but now they're not listening and they're they're i don't know i don't know what to say lars it's it's very discouraging to fight this and know that it's wrong and have them not listen to us they're not listening in olympia they're going to no, do and, and what they want to do this Lisa Wellman, who's a senator, a Democrat from Mercer Island. So she's chair of the Senate Elections Committee, or sorry, Education Committee. And she's got this yeah. House Bill 2331 in front of her. And she's saying, look, this is the way it's going to be. We're going to tell every school district in the state. And they're going to be dictated to by Olympia, which really means they're going to be dictated to by Seattle because Seattle is the biggest chunk of population, King County, and that's where most of the votes are uh, that make up the representation in Olympia. So Seattle is going to tell the rest. So it doesn't matter what Spokane thinks. It doesn't matter what Tri-Cities thinks. Uh, they will be dictated to from Olympia. And if local school districts say, we're going to put this pornography in front of kids, we're not going to teach kids about Drag Queen Story Hour, we're not going to teach them about DEI, CRT, and all the rest of that garbage, uh, we're just not going to do it, then Olympia, or this is what Senator Wellman would like to do from her lofty perch in Mercer Island, she's going to say, well, then you're not going to get any money. Now, I don't think that fits with the uh, McCleary decision or anything else when you say you have to adequately fund education. And then uh, the Democrats say, but if you don't do it the way the Democrat Party says to do it from Seattle, uh, then we're going to cut off the money. Can they get away with this? I don't know if they're going to get away with it. It's possible. I mean, the, the law states right now that the local districts have control over the curriculum that they teach in their local public schools. And this law that they're trying to pass would override that. I think it would cancel that the, the local control over curriculum because it says right there that in the in the, law, the proposed legislation that the superintendent will have veto power and can force districts to take what he wants them to, to use in their schools under threat of withholding funding, which is just a huge overreach in, in the first place. But this is what they're doing. So, I, I mean, once again, I say that this is illegal, unconstitutional, and violation of the public's trust, yeah, but you know, when no one uh, holds them accountable for this wrongdoing, essentially, it's really what it is. It's wrongdoing. You know, uh, what? Where are you? And 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 to your point about Seattle, it, 
even, there are most of the people in Seattle are not these radicals, but there's a small group of radical activists that have taken over the public schools in Seattle and are now trying to take over the schools in the entire state. And no one seems to have the courage to say no. We're not going to let you do this to our children, uh, you know. Except for activist moms groups, they're sh- they're showing up in in force. So I am ever hopeful that the people, you know, that the people's will will eventually uh, be honored and respected in our democracy. But so far, we're not seeing it from the the chair of the Senate Education Committee. That is for sure. Well, and you've got people like Senator Jim McCune, who's a Republican from Graham, and he said, "Okay, I, I want to propose an amendment." Can we at least ban instructional materials that are lewd, obscene, or pornographic? Now, I understand that, you know, there have been judges who've commented over the years that, well, what is pornography? What is obscenity? Uh, and you say, well, I don't, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. Then it's going to be up to the local <laughs> school district to say, that stuff's obscene. We're not putting it in front of the kids. And now, instead of the people of Washington State being represented even by their representatives and their senators, they're going to be, they're going to give all of this power, not to the governor, but to Chris Reichdahl at Department of Education. It's amazing. Senator McCune's amendment was just to keep obscenity out of the schools and Senator Wellman would not hear from him. Okay, she she recommended a no vote on his amendment, which is it's just disgraceful because his I read his amendment. It reflects the the U.S. Supreme Court standard for what is considered obscenity, and he so it follows the law. And it was a reasonable amendment that would have calmed down a lot of people and taken some of the controversy out of this effort. But no, they they are going to have they're going to, you know Wellman was not interested in that amendment. And they and they didn't adopt it. So it's going to be whatever Chris Reichdahl wants. Chris Reichdahl's office has been, you know, in the control now of these radical activists, these professors from the Western Washington University that are pushing critical race theory, queer theory, uh, as if it's some kind of a a good thing. And it's not. I mean, it, and 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 you know, across the country, it is it is facing setback after setback as people find out what's in it. Uh, yet once it gets in the public school system, it's very hard to get out because it's a monopoly system. You can't you can't hold people accountable in the public school system. You know, may, maybe uh, leave. You know, what 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 they're going to have to do is get some conservative parents to show up at a Mercer Island school district meeting. I don't know if Senator Wellman has kids in school or not. Show up at the school board meeting and start reading some of this obscene and pornographic material to the school board. And when they object, say. Well, your Senator Lisa Wellman, she says she's perfectly okay with porn in schools. If she's okay with porn in schools, you ought to be okay with porn in the Mercer Island schools. That's Lee Finna from the Center for Education in Washington Policy. Back in a moment, I'll get to your calls. And now, get this, even the New York Times is calling out Joe Biden's lies for a change. I'll get to that, too. The ability with me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. 
Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com. View the videos and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. The 40th president of the United States always knew where to put the blame. You have blamed mistakes of the past, and you blame the Congress. Does any of the blame belong to you? Yes, because for many years I was a Democrat. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and in a moment I'll get to calls. But I have to tell you something. I'm very pleased to see that it appears the worm has turned for Joe Biden. And what I mean by that. I mean, there are a bunch of things that are going so far wrong that Joe Biden is having to course correct. I mean, he came into office and signed all those executive orders about energy, about the Keystone XL pipeline, about the border. Ninety-four of them had to do with the border. And the border has now turned into a giant catastrophe so bad that Joe Biden is now talking about taking executive action. But we'll get into that later. But one of the other things that turned was that all through the Trump administration for four years, you heard hundreds, I'm not exaggerating, hundreds and hundreds of reports of fact-checking. That is, you could watch a Donald Trump speech or press conference, and afterwards you would see literally dozens of fact-checks saying the president said this and it's a lie. The president said that and it's not factually based. Now, a lot of those fact-checks were based on opinion. But then what happened was after the cheating in the 2020 election and Joe Biden ends up coming into the White House. And what happened? All of a sudden, all of the news media that were happy to fact Donald check, Donald Brown, uh, Donald Trump from early in the morning to late at night, they would fact check him all the time. I mean, you'd be watching a news conference and they'd run a crawl at the bottom of the screen and they'd say, uh, this is untrue and that's not factually verifiable and blah, blah. And a lot of those fact checks were false in and of themselves. But once Joe Biden came in after his basement campaign to run for president, they stopped fact checking to an incredible degree. In fact, one good example of this, there was a guy at CNN who every time he would have a fact check on Donald Trump, they would put him on the air. And so in 16 months, he did 500 fact checks. So that's almost, you know, it's, it's just like every other hour, there's a fact check of one kind or another. So you think, well, I think fact checking is a good idea. If you say the president says this, but here's a document or a law, a law or a quote from somebody else that says that's not true. That's legitimate, but only if you do it to both parties. But in the case of Joe Biden, they decided for the first couple of years to give him a complete pass on fact checking. Well, guess what? Now, even the New York Times is starting to call out Joe Biden. Uh, they do it kind of mildly. They say Joe Biden is, quote, made some misleading statements in recent weeks. In other words, he's lying. And let me give you an A number one example of that. Earlier this month, Joe Biden goes before the National Association of Counties uh, to talk about his semiconductor legislation. And what does he claim about that? 
because this is a good example of how badly he can lie. And finally, even the old New York Times, they are they are loyal to the Democrat Party all day long and twice on Sunday. So Joe comes out and here's what he actually said, that his semiconductor legislation, quote, has attracted six hundred and forty billion dollars in private company investment. Now, this isn't the first time that Joe Biden made that claim, probably won't be the last time. And then what the New York Times said, I mean, to their credit, estimates of private investment spurred by the Chips and Science Act do not come in at $640 billion. By some measures, it is a fraction of that number. Now, that's as good as I think you can expect the good old New York Times to say in calling out a Joe Biden lie. Joe Biden has also traveled around the country saying, why, I've created 15 million jobs. Now, that one's just plain old false. He has no idea uh, what matters when it comes to a job that was there all the time, but then was recovered after the end of the pandemic. And the official end of the pandemic came after Joe Biden stepped into office. So if you go back and check, how much of a net gain in jobs has America seen since right before the pandemic hit? You know, so we lost a lot of jobs and then we gained jobs back, meaning jobs that were there all along the minute the economy began to work again. And in many cases, not by the action of the president, since Donald Trump didn't have any authority to shut down businesses or tell people they couldn't go to church, couldn't sing in choirs, couldn't operate their business. We've seen a net gain during Biden of 2.46 million, just short of two and a half million. But he runs around the country claiming about six times or five times that number of jobs have been added and that he's going to claim credit for all of that. Right before the pandemic hit, there were 158.7 million working people in America in February of 2020. As of January of this year, 161 million people are employed in the U.S. That's a gain of not quite two and a half million. The job recovery began under President Trump. He saw a recovery of 16.6 million jobs. So Joe Biden wants to run around claiming credit for adding, creating, and that's the word he uses, that he created 15 million jobs. Well, first of all, Presidents don't create jobs. The economy creates jobs. But the government can either get in the way of the creation of those jobs or it can get out of the way and allow the jobs to be created. And the latest state jobs report shows that 10 of the top 12 states for job recovery since the pandemic are led by Republican governors and that all 12 states that have seen the greatest number of jobs recovered are led by Republican legislatures. Now, consider that out of the top 15 states in America with the lowest unemployment rates, 11 of them are led by Republican governors. So what else has Joe Biden claimed to do? Because now that the media has started to fact check him, I'm glad to see it happen. When he took office, here was the claim he made that he was going to build an economy, quote, from the middle up and the bottom out not from the top down. Now, he's always got to run the class welfare thing, which is interesting given that he's the head of the Biden crime family, which has made millions of dollars through its corrupt actions. But he says, I'm going to look out for low and middle income families. And he's constantly telling people that he used to be a truck driver, he used to be a coal miner, he used to be this or he used to be that. And most of that's lies as well. 
Under Joe Biden, consider this. When you talk about the haves and the have-nots, the top 1% of American earners now control more wealth than the nation's entire middle class. And yet you hear from Joe Biden that he's the guy who's going to straighten things out for the middle and for the bottom of the economic pile, and it's not happening. The rich are getting richer under Joe Biden. And who do you think Bidenflation has hurt the most? Do you think it's hurt Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or Warren Buffett? Oh, no. It's low-income households. And why? Because they're spending a huge percentage of their income on food and gasoline and housing. And why? Because inflation, driven mostly by government spending, has been making everything more expensive. 51% of the working class are now working more hours only 18% of upper-middle-class people are working more hours. And among renters, rent affordability is the worst on record, bar none, right now, with a record high, 22 million households that are considered to be cost-burdened by the cost of rent. And this is it. Joe Biden's going to run around telling everybody, I've made a great economy, just look around you. Except that Joe Biden, Joe Biden can't see daylight from where he's standing. He can't even make it up the stairs. Glad to get your calls. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest The Network. Lars Larson Show. Nixon was wrong about a lot of things, but he's right about this. People have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. What say you, Joe Biden? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'll be glad to get back to your phone calls and emails shortly. But I want to talk to Christine McDaniel, who's a senior research fellow with the Mercatus Center. And I want to talk about the death of Alexei Navalny. Ms. Dan Ms. McDaniel, welcome back to the program. Hi, Lars. How are you? Thank you for uh having me. Not too bad. Can I be blunt? Uh, is there any doubt that Navalny was murdered? <laughs> well, all indications um, uh, yeah, would, would, point to, would point to that, yes. Yeah, and Joe Biden, I mean, while I don't pay much attention uh, as far as truth uh, to what Joe Biden says, but he says there's no doubt that uh, Vladimir Putin's government was behind the death of Mr. Navalny. Well, they sent him off to prison. And uh, and he dies at a relatively young age, and he was a major opponent of Putin. So it wouldn't surprise me either. And that may be a subject for another uh, another day. But tell me this: the Biden administration is now preparing major sanctions against Moscow as a result of the death of Alexei Navalny, this Putin opponent. Uh, tell me what you know about that. Well, that's right. So President Biden has announced that. Tomorrow, there will be an, another announcement of another uh, fresh wave of sanctions. We don't know what those are going to look like yet. Um, they could be more uh, targeted sanctions on individuals. Uh, they, uh, you know, they could do, try to do some more on on um, trying to access um, Putin's um, reserves, but. If there is um, uh, increasing, incre there's increasing evidence that Russia is has been um, using other countries, other you know, third countries who are who are cooperating with Russia uh, to access uh, capital, capital equipment, dual use technologies, war supplies, 
uh, and and other things uh, to um, to keep the work going. And so it might be the case that many people are expecting this that tomorrow's uh, announcements will actually target those transactions. Right, because remember, sanctions. I mean, it really is just meant to try to limit the extent to which entities in Russia, whether they're you know institutions or banks or people or government organizations, can get funds to keep this war going. Right, and right. so, uh, and if 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 Russia is selling, say, energy or critical minerals to country X, and then country X uh, sells you know, uh, say drones or dual-use technologies or war supplies back to Russia, um, then those transactions will likely leave an electronic footprint in the global financial system where U.S. authorities can see that and then try to target those institutions to limit uh, and actually curb the ability for those transactions to continue. Christine, it sounds like that stuff we should have been doing anyway, whether Alexei Navalny is still alive or not. I mean, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we have been going after? I mean, if that's the point, if you're doing illicit transactions with other countries to keep the war effort going, the U.S. says, we don't want you to do that. Shouldn't that have happened already? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, the uh, we only have... Um, so, so, you know, it's not... It's You know, I was reading about what was happening in the 1990s when we had sanctions on, uh, you know, other countries and our sanctions on Iran and North Korea and so on. Um, you know, it's not the 1990s anymore. We have now we have a number of countries that are fairly well, that are not small. Some are fairly large that have not fully um, signed on to the spirit of uh, these sanctions that the West is taking against Russia, uh, China, India, Brazil, the United Arab Emirates uh, and others. Indonesia, others, uh, and they are, uh, they, they appear to be quite willing to, you know, continue to do business with Russia, uh, and, um, and, you know, and hence, um, that just enabled Putin to further evade and circumvent the sanctions. Well, (laughs) this one just seems strange. I mean, it's so bizarre that I can't even imagine it, but Christine, isn't the United States using Russia as its go-between in whatever remains of the talks with Iran about a new nuclear deal? We're using Russia. So we're, we're telling these other countries, you shouldn't be doing business with them, but we're still doing business with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's, it's hard to stop all business. It's just the type of business, right? And so, you know, I mean, if, if Russia wants to buy T-shirts from China, you know, I mean, who are we to stop them? But if they want to buy, you know, if, if, but if China is sending them drones uh, with dual-use technology, then that uh, then show up, that then show up at, you know, in, in Ukraine against Ukraine on the battlefield, um, you know, then that's a problem. And so, you know, we've seen a number of U.S. officials circling the globe lately about the, um, you know, about trying to limit that, uh, those things. But, you know, there's, it's not, it's not as easy, it's not as easy as it used to be to, um, to tell other countries, um, you know, who they can and cannot do business with. Look, the UAE, I mean, the UAE, um, the Wall Street Journal had this amazing uh, article the other day, uh, really detailing how Russia is, has, has, um, created this whole fleet of ghost tanks. Uh, to try to, you know, to, so they can keep shipping their oil and avoid the sanctions. 
And the UAE uh, appears to be uh, quite instrumental in allowing Russia to keep doing that. And, and in the UAE, you know, we have a free trade agreement with the UAE. So, you know, so much for geopolitical allies and friends and free trade agreements. Well, that's, that leads me to my next question, which I was tempted to put up front. Do they do any, do they make any difference? Do what, does what make any Sanctions. difference? Sanctions. Sanctions. Well, yes and no. So <clears throat> a lot of it is timing, right? And so there's been a lot of, uh, some really great work on this showing that, uh, um, key takeaways. When sanctions come in um, hard and big and strong and quickly, yes, they can make a big difference, uh, at least for a while. But over time, other countries, you know, try to figure out how to get around the sanctions. And the bigger the other country is, you know, the target country, the bigger the country is, the more able they are to get around those sanctions. You know, Russia is not a small country, and they have, they're a pretty big supplier of, of oil and gas and other critical minerals that a number of other countries around the world need. So Russia has, uh, you know, they have, a, they have some leverage there, and, um, and other countries seem to be um, uh, responding. I just, you know what, Christine, you know that I don't have much respect for, for Joe Biden. I think he's a goofball. But just within the last, I don't know, six weeks or so, he's announced we're not going to build any new uh, uh, LNG export uh, facilities, nor are we going to up our exports of LNG to Europe, to Western Europe. It seems like if you really want to hurt Russia, if you really want to put a, you know, a hole in their balloon, uh, then ship more LNG to Western Europe and benefit both Americans and Europeans at the time and cut off the money supply to Putin if that's what you really want to do. It seems like, you know, working around the edges, well, well, we're only going to try and get away with or get in the way of you selling drones to them. Cut off the money supply and, and things stop, except that Joe Biden has done just the opposite. Yeah, I mean, that, that is, uh, you really bring up a good point. And, you know, to the extent we, um, we can uh, get our friends, our quote-unquote friends and allies to, to try to curb their appetite for them. Um, or their enthusiasm for Rus Russian energy, uh, you know, these these other countries, they need other stable, reliable suppliers. And when, you know, and when the U.S., when, you know, one day they're saying that they'll, you know, happy to step up to the plate, and then the next day, you know, um, you know, they've, they, it looks like they may have changed their mind on some things. You know, that does send mixed signals. My understanding, though, is that the U.S. and the EU have talked about this, and they, the U.S. has tried to um, allay some of those fears in, in Europe. Yeah, they may. But it does seem a little bit hypocritical for Joe Biden to say, don't do Russia, we're trying to cut them off, but we're not going to ship them more American natural gas. Christine McDaniel from the Mercatus Center. Back in a moment, you got the Lars Larson. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated. 
But the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Gun Control Explained. Want to stop drunk drivers from killing sober drivers? Ban sober drivers. That's how gun control works. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on the Radio Northwest Network and a real pleasure to welcome my friend from our Seattle affiliate, John Carlson. He gets up early in the morning, and uh, I usually talk to him every morning on Talk Radio 570. John's going to be part of a huge event tomorrow about a very important issue at the state capitol in Olympia where the Democrats have promised that they're going to thoroughly ignore the Constitution and the people of the state. And John's going to correct me if I'm wrong. The Constitution requires that if there is an initiative to the legislature that it must be acted upon in some form, a co committee hearing or something. Uh, six of those initiatives have been put before the legislature uh, through the efforts of uh, Brian Haywood and 400,000 plus of his favorite people in the state of Washington signing these petitions saying, hey, legislature, do something about these six separate issues. And John, am I right? The Democrats have said we will be damned if we will look at three of those six. We're not going to look at them at all. Lars, you're right twice. First, that is what the state constitution requires, that citizen initiatives to the legislature be a first priority. Well, they haven't done anything with any of the initiatives yet. They didn't want to, but now they're going to hold hearings on three of them. They're leaving off the what I call the three money initiatives that involve raising taxes on people, and these initiatives would strike down those taxes. So, yes, you're right about the Constitution. Yes, you're right that the Democrats said they were going to ignore them. And I guess that means they did keep a promise this session. Yeah, at least one. And and a lot of it has to do with money. <laughs> and what's crazy is, John, they're sitting on a $3 billion surplus. So it's not as, I mean, I know they're making the claim that, well, if we looked at that one on carbon taxes, we might have to repeal it. And that will cost us a lot of money. They're sitting on a pile of cash right now. Am I right? You're right again, because the legislature raised these taxes when they were running surpluses then. This was, these tax increases were never about plugging a hole or erasing red ink. They had surpluses at one point billions of like nine and a half billion dollars in surpluses. And they raised these taxes for one reason, because they could. So and be, you hear and they'll about do something greed. with the money. Yeah, you hear about uh, corporate greed all the time. I think it's time for us to realize that the real greed that is endangering our freedom and our society is government greed. 
And it really is, because, John, if you think about it this way, I've heard people say, well, you know, there are big companies that talk people into buying, oh, fancy motorcycles like the Indian that John rides or things they don't really need. And that's so yeah. evil. But at least at least when somebody's talked into buying a big four wheel drive pickup truck and you say, well, that doesn't seem like a good way to use your money, but you get something for it. Except that these days, lately, they say, we're going to raise your taxes. Oh, by the way, you're not going to get the same services you've been used to from the police or the courts or the prisons or any other agency of government because we got something better to do with the money. So you're still going to pay the same. You're going to get less. I, I think that, I mean, at least a corporation delivers on something that you buy from them. Yes, and if it doesn't deliver, its customers go away. You can't go away from government. You're a customer <laughs> whether you want to be or not. And here's the other thing. Sure, there's people who waste their money, but it's their money. It's yeah, they're their free own to do money what they want they're with spending. It. God it, bless them. I mean, someone else's. tell me what's going to happen tomorrow on the Capitol steps and what you hope to achieve, because you're part of this. So is Brian Haywood. And thank you to him for, you know, putting up some of the cash to make sure these ballot measures could get circulated. People don't understand that. You know, citizen initiatives sound like something, you know, I'll get a clipboard and a few sheets of paper and I'll go down and get that to happen. No, it costs millions of dollars. And a lot of organization and the initiatives have to be drawn up very carefully. And Brian Haywood did it right on every step. And, you know, we haven't had an initiative on the ballot in Washington in five years, Lars. Now we're going to have six initiatives that are on the ballot. The only way the Democrats can keep these any of these initiatives off the ballot is if they vote for them. That's their only recourse to keep them off the ballot because there'll be very salient issues in a lot of swing districts. So tomorrow at high noon on the steps of the Washington State Capitol, Brian Haywood's Let's Go Washington and our people from KVI are going to be out there with hundreds of people and all the people in Lars Larson country are invited to be there. Again, it's the capital. You know, take a long lunch. Take the afternoon off. Join us and uh, we'll have a series of speakers. We'll be rallying for the initiatives and we'll be symbolizing that in 2024, the real political power in Washington will be on the steps of the Capitol with the citizens initiatives, not inside the buildings behind us. And by the way, John, so, I want to yeah. point one mm -hmm. last thing out, and correct me if I'm wrong. The reason they don't want to even vote on these, if they said, well, the people's representatives will shoot this down, saw it'll be a two to one. They're afraid to take a vote because they know that not only are all the Republicans likely to vote for all six, but a sizable number of Democrats will look at that and say, if I vote against that, my, my constituents are going to bounce me out the door at the next election. So they don't want to have the vote at all. If they were confident they would all be uh, rejected by a majority in the legislature, they'd say, go ahead, let's have a vote. Am I wrong in the last 10 seconds? No, you're, you're right. And these initiatives are popular. Over half the people who signed them are either independent or Democrat. So and that's saying something significant. That's John Carlson from our affiliate Talk Radio 57. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. 
You could sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at equity advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com. View the videos and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com.